Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. Uh, we, uh, we want to say hello to a very special crew of people who are watching over in this room. We have two rooms that are kind of mirror opposites. Uh, we're, we're designating this one room one and that room two. And so there's some folks over there watching. So we just want to say hi. Hi. We love you. Come earlier. Um, but you do get cup holders over there. So it's a trade-off. It's a total trade-off. Um, this gentleman's wearing a San Diego Chargers jersey to church. And I just want to be very clear. That is absolutely appropriate. Um, I was, it was so funny. I was talking to somebody over at uh, Mar- We're an expression of Mariner's Church. It meets in Irvine. We meet in Mission Viejo. And I was talking to this wonderful older lady who was commenting on, you know, how it is that young people today don't dress up for church and they wear shorts. And she even heard about some preacher who was wearing shorts to preach in and she was just flabbergasted. And I said, I know I can't stand people like that. Kids these days. But the reason... The reason we do things like two services, the reason we need children's volunteers, the reason uh, we uh, are informal in the things that aren't important, but very formal in the things that are, is because as as a community, the church is the only organization that exists for the people that aren't here yet. When you, when you come to faith in Christ, you hook up with other believers, all of a sudden the invitation is for you to make room for other people. And so we're so excited about all this stuff that's happening, but what we're most excited about is seeing loads and loads of people come to know Jesus personally. And, uh, and we're going to start uh, a new series this morning, and it's designed for two audiences, those of you that are Christians and those of you that aren't. So I think that covers everybody. And, uh, and, it, 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 and it astounds me, by the way, did I say my name's Mike? I'm Mike. What's your name? Okay, I just heard... Blah, blah, blah. Uh, but nice to meet you. Uh, we, uh, I am astounded at how few of us actually read the Gospels of Jesus. If you, don't, if, you're, if you don't know, there are four biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I, I'm always astounded at, particularly those that supposedly speak in His name, how few of us actually just read through those accounts over and over and over again. And I was, I was one of those people. I grew up in a church. Uh, I was in seminary at the time. I was a college pastor. uh, And and I've told this story before, I know, but it just keeps wrecking me over and over and over because I'm sitting as a college pastor up at Forest Home. I'm a college pastor for Mariners. We've got a whole bunch of college kids. uh, And uh, there's this speaker that gets up. His name's Bart Tarman. Bart was the chaplain of Westmont College at the time. And he gets up and he's talking about how you can miss Jesus right in the middle of Christianity, which at the time was a novel thought for me. And he told a story about some guys, Westmont's a Christian school, so there were some guys who came to Bart, who was the chaplain, to say, hey, we would love it if you would disciple us, mentor us in the ways of Jesus. And because these were really good guys, Bart said he was a little hard on them, and so he said, okay, let me ask you a question. When was the last time any of you have ever just sat down and not for class, because you do that in a Christian college, and not to earn brownie points with Jesus, but when was the last time you sat down and just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John for the sheer joy of getting to know Jesus more? And as he's, as he's 
telling this story, we're all in the audience going, don't know if I could ever say that, you know? And, and these kids were honest and said they had never read one of the Gospels. Just for the sheer joy of getting to know Jesus. And so here's what Bart does. He holds up his Bible and he says, okay, so let me get this straight. You love Jesus, have given your lives to Jesus, have sung hundreds if not thousands of songs about Jesus. You pray in Jesus' name. You want to share Jesus with other people. And yet you've never taken the time to read the only authoritative words we have about his life. And the whole room got very quiet. And I got very quiet. Because then he said, and the first three accounts are a lot alike. So let's just call it this. You've never found the interest to read this. And I'm sitting there going, I am that man, you know? And that began when I was 29, a couple years ago, a massive, massive search to find Jesus right in the middle of Christianity. Because I discovered it was possible to have the two be separate things. That right in the middle of prayer meetings and Bible studies and worship services, you could miss the real Jesus. Because the real Jesus, and it's shocking for people to find this out. When you study the gospel accounts, the real Jesus didn't come to start a religion. So whenever he's lumped in with all the great founders of the world of religions, I, I kind of cringe anymore because that's when you read him, that's not what he was up to. In fact, he was up to do away with what made religion necessary to begin with. And so we just want to suggest over the course of several weeks that those of us who follow him and those who don't follow him, all of us in some way have missed it a little bit. Whenever it is, we've made Jesus about religion. And the word religion in Greek, as it's used in the New Testament, means any system of external rules, rituals, or routines that makes us right with God. And it doesn't matter what God or gods or goddesses or it's that's up there. Anything we're doing to perform, earn, strive, to be right with that is religion in the biblical sense. And there's a good religion, and there are parts of religion that are good, but the heart of religion is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus. And so we just want to begin the conversation this morning by turning to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'll throw the words up on the screen for you, but I highly encourage you to grab one of uh, these, or one of any, and bring it and mark it up and look at it. Matthew, chapter 1, you'll remember this from the Christmas story. We'll start in verse 21. Let's start in verse 20. How's that sound? Hey, by the way, it's 1039 right now. If you're here at 1039 next week, what will you be in time for? The 11 o'clock service, right? Okay, I just want to remind you, because some of you will come at 10, and you'll be like, You'll be mad at us. And we're just going to look at you and say, not on us. We told you, you were here, 9 and 11. This message is brought to you by the numbers, 9 and 11. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1. We'll go verse 20. Joseph was a little bummed that his teenage fiance turned up pregnant. And was saying that God was responsible he needs a little intervention to actually believe this. So an angel appears, verse 20, 
and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Then Matthew writes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, a virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, it's not that Jesus had two names. It's that Emmanuel was a statement of his purpose. God with us. His name, Yahshua, Jesus, Joshua, meant Yahweh saves, God saves. And the purpose of Jesus and Emmanuel, right, Jesus as Emmanuel, was that God would forgive us for our sins. Now, what you need to know if you didn't follow any of that was the fundamental difference between the mission and coming of Jesus and the ways and purposes of religion depart on this point. Religion, however you spell it out, is us climbing up. The gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ, is what? God coming down. And so, really, it's two arrows. You can work your way up through five pillars, 610 laws, some versions of Christianity. You can work your way up through karma, through reincarnation. I mean, it doesn't matter how you spell it out. If it's on you, it's religion. If it's on Jesus, it's gospel. Emmanuel, God with us. And notice, the New Testament writers will reflect on this and be astounded by it. So Paul will say in a book called Romans, while we were sinners, Jesus came and died for us. Before you did anything religious, before you made any promise, before you got your act together, your doubts answered, before you got your habits taken care of, all of that, prior to all of that, Jesus was revealed as the one who would take away sin, and God demonstrates His love in that. That's the difference. And so any system, Christian or otherwise, that tells us we earn, we prove, we strive, Jesus has come to abolish. Because the message of the gospel is just the reverse. He's come after us. And He doesn't come after us when we're getting our act cleaned up. Or as we're starting to go to the church. We're a fundamentally and incurably religious people, and Jesus just has to again and again say, nope, you've got it backwards. I've come for you before you did anything worth my love. Go, if you would, to Matthew chapter 8. So what happens is that Emmanuel, this Jesus, he starts roaming the first century countryside like this. This is evidently my sign for roaming. And he starts... All right, let's be clear. I know we're getting to know each other still. But could you just have mercy on me if I throw something out like that and just say, yeah, that was tolerable. Just not funny, but relatively. Because I, I have two speeds. I have whatever I'm saying and then my editorial on whatever I'm saying. And sometimes I can't, I can't discern between the two. Matthew chapter 8. So Jesus is roaming... <laughs> so Jesus is roaming. And what he's up to is he starts undermining all of the Jewish tradition, ritual, sacrificial system. We bless our children. I'm sorry you have to go. 
Oh, nice, Dad. Good job. Oh, here, honey. You take him. Very smooth. Very smooth, my man. <laughs> oh. And all the men are like, yes, we're guilty. All right, Matthew chapter 8. So Jesus starts undermining things. So we talked about uh, uh, what it meant to have leprosy a couple weeks ago. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, in the Old Testament law, you were not allowed to come into contact with somebody who had a skin disease like this. And number two, the only provision for a leper to be made clean was if a priest declared the leper to be clean. So here comes Jesus, a peasant from Nazareth, roaming around Galilee. Jesus reached out and he touched the man. We talked about the significance of that. And he says, I am willing to make you clean. Be clean. Now that doesn't sound like a lot to us, but there was a system and a structure for how that was supposed to happen. And here's this peasant Jesus roaming around, undermining it. And he tells the guy, hey, go to the priest. But notice what he says. But show, go yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. In other words, go to the priest not to receive the declaration of cleansing, but just to show that I did it. And that they'll understand something new's going on out over here. Go to Matthew chapter 9. I love this about Jesus. Jesus, uh, verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. Now, there are parallel accounts where we hear that there's this thing, uh, they're unroofing a roof and they're lowering him down. We think it's the same guy. Some men brought him uh, a paralytic lying on a mat. Jesus saw their faith. He says to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the joke, of course, is if you're the paralyzed dude and you've kind of gone to all that work to get in front of Jesus and he just says, your sins are forgiven. What are you saying? Thanks. Anything else you want to do? Right? I came, I got the paralyzed thing going on, and I'd really like some help with that. So Jesus just takes this opportunity to say, Your sins are forgiven. Now notice what everybody starts doing. At this, some of the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Now, you have to understand what Jesus of Nazareth has just pulled off. There is a very strict protocol about how you get forgiveness in first century Israel. It was established by God himself. You go to Jerusalem, you go to the temple, you go to a priest, you buy a sacrifice, you give it to the priest. The priest sacrifices the animal, you are forgiven. It's this big thing. And here's Jesus roaming around the, around the countryside. And all of a sudden, he's just forgiving people. Now, did the, did the guy ask for forgiveness? Did he make a sacrifice? Did he promise to do anything religious? Nope, Jesus comes across him and just says, you're forgiven. To the Jews, only God could forgive, so that's the blasphemy part. Right? I mean, I, let's say you were terribly um, uh, verbally abused by your parents, and you're scarred to this day, and I walk up to you and, and I say, I forgive your parents. 
What do you say to me? Who are you? Why do you care? Well, you can't forgive them, right? I mean, there's this sense that Jesus is inserting himself into a position that only God could have. So that's the blasphemy. But then the second thing he's doing is he's just forgiving people about priests, temples, or sacrifices. That's not how it works. you got to do the thing. Now, you have to understand, the priests, temples, and sacrifices were all established by God. So, the question naturally is, well, why is Jesus like getting rid of those things if they were established by God? Like, are they bad? And the answer is no. Jesus wasn't against the temple. He wasn't against sacrifices. He wasn't against the priesthood. But there were two other things going on, and we'll explore this in greater detail as we go. One is that those were all shadows of Him. So when the reality shows up, the shadows are irrelevant. It's like the trailer before a movie. Yeah, you can get it. It's a foreshadowing of what's coming, but it isn't the real thing. And so in a sense, Jesus and, and the New Testament writers will say all of that pointed and was pointed to and was fulfilled in Christ. But the second thing, and we'll see this in a little bit, this stuff that God intended had now turned into hierarchy and exclusion and empty ritual and so Jesus isn't condemning it. He's condemning what it had become at the hands of humans. And isn't that true? I mean, they're perfect models for the Christian church 2,000 years after he came. All this stuff that was good could very easily turn into exclusion and hierarchy and meaningless ritual the same way then that it happened. And so Jesus comes along and he starts undermining any other foundation for confidence that somebody could have for being right with God. He's marching around the hillside, just forgiving people. And, the, and they're ticked. So here's what they say. They're blaspheming. So Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you entertain evil thoughts? One of the things you're going to see is that the, the people that were most resistant to the move of Jesus back then were the religious people. So who do you think are going to be most resistant to the movement of Jesus today. You think that's changed? Do you think that's changed? See, the fascinating thing is the pagans, the prostitutes, the tax collectors loved him, the religious people couldn't stand him. That's flipped in 2,000 years. So now if you're a sinner, the last person you'd ever go is Jesus. But that was the first place you'd go back then. So maybe we've missed it. Maybe Christianity needs a little bit of Jesus again. Ooh. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts, Jesus says? Which is easier? Which is easier? To forgive somebody of their sins or to heal them physically? I'd say both on the scale of difficulty, pretty high. Personally. But probably forgiveness of sins is the big one. Right? So Jesus says, which is easier? To forgive the guy or to heal him? But so that you know that I have authority to forgive, he heals the dude. I'll do something you can see so that you can trust something you don't see. And there are stories later about how this ticks off the religious leaders. Big time. So let me ask you this. And this... this this is a little thick, so slow me down if I lose you. In all seriousness. 
Except for room two people. You just got to take it as it's coming. Room one people, what, when you look at the message of Jesus, would you agree it got him killed? <laughs> yes, right? The whole crucifixion thing. So when we talk about what was the most offensive part of his message, there are a bunch of different options for that category. What was it exactly that got him killed? For instance, if the message of Jesus was only God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, if that were it, would that have got Jesus killed? No. You know what the Jews of the day thought? Of course he loves us. He delivered us out of Egypt. He gave us the Torah. He lives in the temple. We're his favored people. Yes, he loves us. Now, that's absolutely one of the things Jesus did, but was that the most offensive part? No. Or what if Jesus walked around saying, hey, God's going to forgive your sins. Is that true? Of course. But would that have got Jesus killed? No. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the Jews knew about sin and redemption and forgiveness. And they would have said, well, yeah, God's going to forgive us our sins. He forgives us every year. <laughs> would that have gotten Jesus killed if that were, if that were it? No. How about, hey, guys, God's kingdom is coming. Well, they'd have been like, well, yeah. And when it does, they're going to take care of the Romans and restore Israel. They would have said, of course, his kingdom's coming. So that wouldn't have got Jesus killed. It... <sighs> it's one advantage you have in room two. So I don't hear your cell phone ring. And I'll be glad to answer it. Jenny can't talk. She's listening to a sermon. Is this a sermon? No. That's such an old-fashioned word. This is a conversation where one person's talking. <laughs> so how exactly... What was it that got Jesus killed? It wasn't until he said, God's love, God's forgiveness, and God's kingdom are now available through me apart from the religious structures of Israel. It wasn't until he started to say, hey, the Sabbath, I am the only authority to determine what's work on Sabbath and what's not. It wasn't until he started to say, yeah, the whole ritual cleanliness of food thing, nah, that was just a foreshadow, all foods are clean. What makes you unclean in your heart? It wasn't until he starts forgiving people. Now you have to understand, look at what we look at in our world today. How is forgiveness offered in our world today? Not just in non-Christian religions, but in Christian religion too. It's hoops, it's ladders, it's steps. You've got to be absolved. You've got to go through this process. See, we are a people that loves religion. And Jesus just comes to undermine every single thing we could place our confidence in apart from Him. End of story. The Gospel isn't, hey, there's good news, work your way up. The Gospel is, there's great news, God's come down. And so Jesus will use words like, 
trust, receive, believe, have faith. Those are the words. Go to John chapter 2. Oh, he really ticks them off here. This is such good news for us. And it doesn't matter if you've been in church 40 years or if you've been in 40 minutes. We need to hear this over and over. John chapter 2, verse 12. You talk about Jesus getting a little rowdy. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples there. They stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves. Now, why were they selling cattle, sheep, and doves? You had to go sacrifice cattle, sheep, or doves. Odds are you didn't bring them with you in your carry-on, right? And so you show up to Jerusalem, you have to buy him at the temple. Now, this had room for all sorts of abuse. Jesus looks at this, and he makes a whip out of cords. Now, I never saw this in Sunday school with the little flannel graph. I never saw, you know what a flannel graph is? It's this board of flannel. And there are these little paper, like Jesus figures, you stick on this thing and kind of dramatically... It's before claymation, evidently. It was like, it was just, I never saw Jesus with a whip my whole childhood. Not once did I see Jesus angry, overturning tables. Look at what he says he does. He made a whip and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Bless you. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? <laughs> okay, the temple was the center of Judaism. It was the place where God dwelt. It was where heaven met earth. It was the center of the universe as far as the Jews were concerned. And here comes a peasant Looking at the commercialization of this, he takes and forms a whip. He drives out the animals. I mean, you can't imagine the commotion. This was a huge court where all of this was going on. And he starts flipping over tables and he's yelling. Now that's a Jesus I'm into. This isn't a Mr. Rogers like, here's a nice couple. Here's some principles for a better life. See, that's a lot of what Christianity's made Jesus, right? Let me just, here's our, he's our life coach. He's our life enhancer. He's, he's just here to make me successful. That's not Jesus. Jesus hates religion. Why? Because there isn't one religion that leads to God. When people ask you, do all religions lead to God? The answer is no, no religion leads to God. That's why God came here. We're not down on religion, it's just the truth. You can't earn it, you can't prove it, you can't climb it. The work's been done for us. So Jesus comes, He sees how the temple's been corrupted, He shuts it down, and notice what He says. You think the folks were real happy with Him? Verse 18, the Jews demanded of Him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? You're a peasant from Nazareth. 
He answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. That's a miraculous sign. The Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it back in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. So do you see what he's done? To get to God, you had to go through priests, temples, and sacrifices. And now to get to God, you go through him. Can you throw that slide up? This is brilliant. Okay, I know you can't follow along quite precisely, but here, here was the circle of layers. To get right with God, if you were not Jewish, you had to go to Israel. And then when is in an Israel, you had to go to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, you had to go to the temple. And in the temple, there were different courts. So the outermost court was the court of the Gentiles. Gentile means non-Jewish. This is where all this selling was going on. Because the temple was supposed to be for everybody. Then if you were Jewish, but you were a woman, you could go into the court of women, but you couldn't go any farther. If you were Jewish and you were a man, you could go to the court of Israel, but you could go no farther. If you were Jewish, you were a man, and you were of the tribe of Aaron, a Levite, a priest. You could go into the holy place. That's where you actually offered all the sacrifices. But the high priest, only one time a year, could go to the most holy place, the holy of holies, where God Himself was said to dwell. Now do you see what this Nazarene is doing. All of that is being replaced by Him. Really? You, don't, you go to Him for forgiveness. You go to Him for cleansing. He's the temple. Go to Matthew 27. I don't know. I thought that was my Bible over there. Matthew 27. Let's go to verse 50. Uh, 50. How are we doing? It's now 11.02. If you show up at 11.02 next week, what will you be in time for? 11 o'clock service. Many of you will have volunteered at the 9 o'clock service, so thank you. Verse 50. When Jesus, he's on the cross, and when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now put that slide back up, if you would. What separated the most holy place from the holy place was a foot-thick curtain. When this happens, it rips from top to bottom, meaning this wasn't of human origin. What, what now, what conclusion would you draw? If you just heard, that's what you had to do to be in, Jesus dies and the curtain rips. What conclusion do you draw now? Access to God, nice. What else? What? He was telling the truth, says my sweet wife. A plus. Even though that wasn't the answer I was looking for, but yes. Anything else? Do you got to go through the hoops anymore? 
So it's like the movement in the Old Testament is into the center, and the movement in the New Testament is out from the center into the world. In the Old Testament, it's out from the world into the center, and in the New Testament, it's out from the center into the world. So now, what has Jesus done? Jesus says, one of the last things he says while he's dying on the cross is, It is finished. What's finished? The need for the temple is finished. The need for priests, finished. The need for sacrifices, finished. All of that was done away with. Now, can you see why our world desperately needs reminded that this was the work of Jesus? Because what have we done in 2,000 years? We've patched the curtain up. We have a professional group of ministers, pastors, reverends, right? Reverends, bishops. I mean, we give them all sorts of fancy titles. You have a system of sacrifices you have to perform, right? Whether it's you've got to be real sorry, <laughs> you've got to go to a priest. I mean, whatever it is, there's a temple, there's a sacrificial system, and there are uh, temple pri and priests, We've, we've erected the whole thing again. And if Jesus were walking around physically, I think he'd be turning some tables over, don't you? Now, here's, here's what's devastating to me. I think a lot of us could agree with this and not come face to face with the fact that I prefer religion sometimes to Jesus. I can hear all of that and go, yeah! And then wonder why it is I still feel like after I have a bad day, like I've, I've sinned, that never happens, but if it were, like if I had a bad day like that, why it is that I wake up the next day and feel like I have to re-earn His love? Like what? Do I really believe it's finished? Do I really believe there's no other sacrifice left to be offered? Like, I can't, I can't show Him how much I mean it. And I can't earn anything. And I can't do anything. He loves me fully and completely. And that's it. I just receive it. Do I really believe that? No. I like religion better. Religion allows me to judge people. A religion allows me to know where I stand. If I punch through my list, I'm good. If I don't punch through my list, I'm bad. I mean, that's easy. Intimacy with an invisible God, that's hard. And so I'm, I'm thinking about all this and going, man, the, the reason I love religion is because it allows me to hide from Him. Which is easier? To put my faith in a few formulas or to put my faith in a God I can't control or manipulate? I like formulas. If I have my quiet time, I have a good day. If I pray for my kids, they'll turn out fine. If I'm pure when I'm married, it will be glorious sexually. And sometimes that's true, right, baby? <laughs> but that's a different point. If I give money, he'll bless me. I mean, isn't that the way of religion? I do this, God does this. 
Would you be willing to admit that even if you are a follower of Jesus, there's a part of us that loves the religious part because it's secure, because it's comfortable? Because I, if I just show up to church, sing the right songs, I've kind of like did my thing today. I don't have to really engage with it. And so when we talk about the fact that Jesus hates religion, we're not just talking to folks who are outside of the followership of Jesus. We're talking to those of us who follow. Because I hear me and I hear us say all sorts of things that imply that His work isn't finished. There's more that I have to do. So this morning, we want to step into a bit of freedom. Would you do this? Would you close your eyes? Watch the lights go down or imagine them going down because your eyes are closed. Yep, going to get sick of me saying this every week. We turn the lights down because God is here and God doesn't like bright light, evidently. Just a couple of thoughts this morning. If you are somebody who was raised in a religious home, you were taught to do religious things, Is there a part of all of that that keeps you from the blinding fullness of intimacy with Christ? Is there a part of you that loves the religious thing because grace is too hard to understand? Is there a part of you that loves the religious thing because intimacy is just too hard? And if you're here and you're somebody who new to church, new to Jesus, can we just invite you to step into a relationship with Him? There's no hoops. There's no ladder. There's no program. It literally is stepping into a relationship. And the invitation every single week we have this conversation is just to, to, to say yes to Him. To receive this as a free gift. There's nothing to strive for. There's nothing to earn. There's nothing to deserve. Jesus just doesn't operate in those categories. Instead, the Scriptures just declare, for God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the invitation. Not just for people outside of the community of faith, but for those of us in it too. And so, Lord Jesus, when you invite us to come to you, because your yoke is easy and your burden is light, I just imagine a world weary of the burdens of religion, the burdens of performing, the burdens of earning and striving. Imagine a world paralyzed by failure and by sin. And I imagine those words of yours, that invitation of yours, to be like water over desert land. Too good to be true, and yet something just resounds within us that it's the only way it could be. The God, you came near. You came close. You came to us. And so, Lord, we repent of those things that we trust in besides you. We repent in those 
things that we believe declare our goodness other than you. We repent of those things that we want to put our confidence in other than you. For there is one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. And we say hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.